on in. Take a seat. Why don't you grab a pen and paper? Sure. Okay. And what I'm going to have you do is write a letter to your son that you're going to give to him when he turns 18. I want you to write a letter to your daughter. Okay. For when she turns 18. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Oh. <laughs> Son's only four years old, so this will be interesting. Dear Olivia. Dear Mason. You won't read this letter for six years, and a lot could change between now and then. Hopefully, you've learned by now that it's important to put on clothes before you go outside. Maybe you've learned that vegetables are your friends. I sincerely hope that all of the dabbing has finally stopped. And also that it's pronounced mac and cheese, not monkey cheese, mac and cheese. You dream of becoming a famous singer, so thank you in advance for all the free concert tickets. Is this still your goal to be a professional YouTuber? I know you were hoping to become a giraffe when you grew up, but hopefully you have some even better career options now. It hasn't always been easy. I sat on a piece of gum you left on a chair yesterday and didn't find out until after work. The dishes really do go in a dishwasher. It's not like a metaphor or something. Remember when you cut your own hair and then you tried to fix it? Basically, I didn't sleep for three years straight. But I can tell you this. Despite all the struggles, all the tears, it was completely worth it. And I would do it again, a hundred times over, for you. You are a gift and a blessing. You've changed my life. You are beautiful and strong. You have so much energy in life, and I can already see how incredibly smart and fearless you are. More than anything, I want you to know that I love you. I'm here for you, whatever you need. You have made me so proud. And I am excited to see how God uses your life. You're ready to take on the world. With all my heart. Love always. Dad. 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 Father's Day to all of you who are fathers. It's hard to believe that I've been a father for 30 years. That's a long time. Um, I called my father this morning at 7.30. I was thinking, I hope he's up. He was up. He had already gone out and run his miles for the day. And uh, we were able to talk a little while. And cer certainly I told him, I said, Dad, I just thank the Lord for you being my father. And um, it's, it's special to be able to um, observe Father's Day and to be able to thank the Lord for the fathers that, that he's given to us. I know probably several of you in here, your fathers are, are not here. And um, uh, you have memories, though. Um, I was thinking that I had two grandfathers, and I was able to spend a good bit of my life observing their life. And uh, I have memories, fond memories, of my grandfathers and my father. My grandpa Blunt loved watermelon. And what's amazing about watermelon and eggs for him, that sounds like a cr crazy combination, but 
in the mornings, I did not know that he had false teeth until I was probably, I don't know, 10, 11, something like that. And I walked by the bathroom one day and he, like, you know, and he's putting his teeth in. And I, he used to say, well, son, I only need the teeth for the bacon. He said, I don't, I don't need the teeth for the eggs and for the watermelon. And go, okay, thank you, Grandpa. Um, my Grandpa Blunt was a special man to me. My Grandpa Allman as well. My Grandpa Allman was the fastest eater I ever knew. I mean, that man would sit down, and he could be done in three or four minutes. And then I met Brian Nichols, and I thought, well, now he's a lot like my Grandpa. He's fast, too. Um, and the memories of my dad are many. And uh, I think the, the greatest spiritual memory I have of my dad is um, just his continued investment in my life uh, with the Word of God. And I know that's a blessing that not many have, but, but I'm thankful to my father for investing in me spiritually. And I trust that today for you, if you're a father, that, that you're um, thankful. The Bible says that children are a blessing uh, to us, and they are. Even when they're teenagers, they are a blessing and uh, I think one of the things you'll find as teenagers as you grow up, when you probably get in your late 20s, 30s, you'll realize, you know, Dad's not as crazy as I thought, or he actually does know a thing or two. So we're thankful for our fathers today, and if you're a father out there, happy Father's Day to you. I wanted to read some scripture for us as we begin our service together. If you would take your Bibles and go to First Peter uh, chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And if you're able to stand, and it's not uh, bother to you to stand, fine. If it is, if it's something that's uncomfortable for you, you can remain seated. But we're going to read verses 1 through 12 of 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, 
you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Isn't grace unique according to the Bible? Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we are blessed if we are in Christ to be able to call you our Father. I was thinking as you were teaching your disciples how they should pray, you began with our Father who art in heaven. So, Father, we don't take lightly the privilege that we have to call you our Father. As our Father, you never fail us. You're always faithful. There is nothing that you as our Father uh, do not know. You know all things. You know everything about us. You know everything yesterday, today, and in the future perfectly. There's nothing that happens in our lives or is going to happen that's a surprise to you. May we take comfort in those thoughts that you care so much about us. Your word tells us that we're to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Father, I know in a room this size with people, there are many who have things in their lives that they are concerned about, many cares. You tell us, Father, to cast those to you, to give them to you, to lease them to you. You're more than capable of handling those things. You care for the birds of the air. You care for the lilies of the field. Um, how much more do you care about us? Father, help us not to take that for granted. We use these words so much, I think sometimes they maybe lose their meaning in a sense that we may need to think more about them. Father, um, for some in this room, a memory of their earthly father is, is hurtful. I recognize that. In a room this size, there's, there's pain as they think about their father for one reason or another. And as we know, Lord, um, in life, we're presented with so many different things. And in one sense, pain's around the corner, just like happiness. But Lord, in the pain and in the happiness, 
we can be joyful knowing that you are our God. Father, may we not this morning take for granted the privilege we have to be together. Father, in many countries there are believers who are having to hide in order to meet. We still have the freedom to be here. Father, we thank you for that. And may now our worship, Father, bring glory and honor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only who is deserving of glory and honor. If we've come into this building with things that we need to confess, may we take the time to do that. So that this service today will be one where we can all say together, we are clean vessels ready to be used by our Heavenly Father for the glory of Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. All this we pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord. Amen. Well, guys, Thad mentioned my eating habits, so I'll tell y'all a quick story. When I met my beautiful wife's parents for the first time, they invited us, me over to dinner. And uh, so after it was over, they said, uh, she was like, well, what do you think? You know, and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, he was, he was cute. He was a good, nice guy. And she said, well, tell me what's next. said, did you see the way he ate? <laughs> so, so I've developed quite the reputation. Well, we are here to worship the Lord together. Y'all ready to worship this morning, guys? Good. Let's worship the Lord Much it 
comes to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin.
is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Guys, John writes in Revelations chapter 4. He's given a vision. I just want to read this vision he has um, of the throne room of God. And starting in verse 2, it says, And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in the front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth, the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out, day after day, and night after night, to keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living, the living beings being, uh, give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, You are worthy. O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created.
We appreciate all of you guys and your labor of love and ministry to us. Several years ago, I was standing in the foyer at our old location, and I had a child walk up to me, a little boy. And he said, Pastor Thad, I want to tell you something. And I said, okay, what do you want to tell me? He says, my daddy doesn't wear a shirt at home. So after the visual of that, I said, thank you. <laughs> you never know what you're going to hear from the mouths of children. Might I say, in case you did not know, they're always watching and they're always listening. And that has no magic ending date to it. They're always watching and there's always listening no matter how old you are. No matter if you're here as a grandfather and you may have ten grandchildren, your children are still watching you. Now you can add to that 
grandchildren who are watching you. They're always watching. It's kind of an intimidating thought when you think about it, that your children are always watching you and how you react and how you behave, the things that you say and the things that you do. Isn't it true that people at times walk up to us and say, do you remember when you said that? And you think for a minute and... Did I say that? You remember the first time your child came up to you and said to you, Fathers, Daddy, you remember when you said we could? How many times have you heard that as a father? Because as a father, you said, We're going to go to Six Flags this year. And the year goes by, and your little boy walks up and says, Daddy, don't you remember you said we were going to? They don't forget. They just don't forget. We don't give them enough credit, do we? They remember. And the reason it's an intimidating thought is because, as it relates to one's spiritual life, children are watching their fathers and their grandfathers. Mothers and grandmothers, you're not absent of the discussion today because they're watching you as well. The Lord's put it on my heart this morning to talk to myself first and then to the fathers and grandfathers out there. July 5th, 1991, our son Caleb was born. He was almost born on July 4th. It would have been appropriate if he would have been. Because he is a firecracker. Our second son was born April the 20th, 1994. And the reason I remember it being April of 94 is the Arkansas Razorbacks won the national championship in basketball that same month. Same month they won the national championship, my second son our second son was born to us. Micah is a unique man. He's quiet, yet confident. Um, I'm proud of all my boys. Then I have a third son. He was born December the 12th, 1997. Andrew. He's the one back there with almost no hair on his head. The Lord blessed my wife and I with three wonderful sons. The thing that I can say about them that I'm most proud to say is they all know the Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing that is to know. Because when we come into conversation with those that belong to the Lord, we're able to say, truly, if I don't see you here, I will see you in our home in heaven. Isn't that wonderful to know if you have a father today who is in heaven, one day you will see your father. That's why it's so important for us never to stop praying for those in our families that may not belong to the Lord and their fathers or grandfathers 
One of Teresa's grandfathers was saved at the age of 90. His wife prayed for him for 66 years that he would come to Christ. We don't take for granted, or we should not. If we have a spiritual heritage, we should not take that for granted. It's a blessing if you've had one. Because in an audience this size, there will be some that did not have that. The message this morning is for those of us who belong to the Lord and our fathers. But I believe the application is for all of us. This is my definition of a father. A father is one who is blessed with children but is being constantly observed by them. That's a father. No matter what the age, as I said earlier, you realize that you have so much influence as a father that what you do in moderation, your children may do in excess. So that for them, the church may be a place they visit every once in a while. If you're not faithful yourself. One of the most difficult things that I see out there today are fathers who are not committed to assembling themselves together with the body of Christ. And as a result, they have children that have very little commitment to no commitment. And we wonder why young people are absent in churches today. I think there's one, at least one decent reason. I'm not sure what they're seeing in their own fathers. Have you ever thought about this question? If someone was to ask your child, what do you think about your father? Or what comes to mind when you think of your father? Or tell me about your father. That's a pretty potent question. Tell me about your father. So I've thought about it. My father is almost 80 years old. He'll be 80 in August, August the 30th. It's a pretty long life. My father was a military man. He was in the Navy for seven years. And so growing up, we lived in a very disciplined home. We made our bed every day. Every day. You couldn't leave the room to go anywhere except the bathroom without making your bed. You were going to make the bed. Thankfully, he didn't check it with a quarter, but you made sure that you made the bed. It was non negotiable with my father. He was a very disciplined man. The first time that I cut his grass, I messed it up. I was scared to death. So, Dad, I cut in with an edger into your grass, and I did. That's back when the edgers had teeth, and I, I just let that thing run off course, and it went right through his grass. And I looked at that, and I went, uh-oh. I wanted to leave. You know, that expression, run away from home, I wanted to run away. Because my dad was a disciplined man. He wanted me to be a disciplined son. And when you're young, you don't appreciate that so much. You go, 
oh, that just stinks. I have to make my bed every day. He won't let me leave the house till I do. He makes me do all these chores because he always had a list for me and my sister on Saturday morning. We were the ones in the neighborhood who had to do our chores first before we could go play. But the discipline he had with us was the discipline he had in all areas of his life. Spiritually, he met with a man for accountability named Lee Hardy for about 25 to 30 years. Every Saturday morning at McDonald's, breakfast of champions. Every Saturday morning they would meet together and talk about their kids and pray for their kids. My father was a godly man when I was growing up. And he just lived it. He didn't just talk it. He lived it. As I look back and as I reflect, it's like I thanked him this morning. Thank you for being my dad. For many reasons. What would your children say or what will they say about you as a father? They're either going to be able to point to more of your life as a man who was not committed to Christ or as a man committed to Christ. It's that really that simple. Do you act more like the old man or the new man? We understand that, right? That once we come to Christ, we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And the question becomes, what do our children see? I thought about that. What would my children say? What would my boys say about their father? Not that he pastored a church or been in ministry for 30 plus years. No. What would they say about me as a father? Well, I want us to think about that in the context of 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want us to look at verses 14 through 16 this morning as we consider being a godly father. Being a godly believer. But we're going to look at it as it relates to the importance of living out our faith in front of our children. Living out our faith in front of our children. What, what do they see? Notice what Peter says in verse 14. As obedient children... As children of obedience, some translations may have. Children there you're familiar with because we're looking at that in 1 John. It's the term technia, it's born ones. As born ones, as believing ones, as children of obedience, he says. Do not be fashioned. That's the better term. Do not be fashioned, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. That word conform there, that word fashioned, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It has to do with the way one looks. So how do you look as a father? What do you look like? Do you look like the old man who is... Conform to the former lust which were yours before Christ? Or do you look like the new man? Think about it like this in terms of an illustration. One who says, 
I am an Auburn fan. Not only talks like an Auburn fan, but looks like an Auburn fan. You can tell because they wear the blue and the orange. And you hear them even. They might say something like, War Eagle. You are able to identify them through their conversation and through what they wear. That's the idea of the word fashioned here. So he's saying, hey, don't be fashioned to the way you were before. Before you had Christ. Don't be like that. Another illustration of fashion. There are some in here who fashion themselves after the University of Alabama. And you know how I know? Because they are the ones that wear the red and the white. And they're the ones that say those words that you just love to hear. Roll Tide. My little Janae is six years old, something like that. She's my youngest granddaughter. And on Saturday mornings, college day, game day comes on. And when college game day comes on during football season, there's a song. Are you familiar with the song? My lovely wife, who happens to be fashioned after the University of Alabama. We sit in front of that TV looking for just one Razorback to appear in that song. Do you know there is no Razorback that appears in that song? But Alabama does. And whenever that song is played, little Janae says, Roll tie row in Alabama. <laughs> First time she said it, I was like, Janae, what did you just say? She said, Poppies. I said, Roll tie row in Alabama. I'm like, listen to me, we don't say that. <laughs> She's fashioned after my wife and all of the faithful Alabama fans. So he's saying this in relationship to what they're not to be fashioned after. He says, as obedient children, as those who are born of the Lord, do not be conformed, do not be fashioned, he says, to the former lust or desires which were yours in your ignorance. So if we apply this to the Christian life, he's saying, hey, don't act like you did before you came to Christ. That's simple language. And that's what he's saying to these believers because he's writing to believers. Hey, don't act like you did before you came to Christ. So as fathers, if we're going to apply that, hey, fathers, don't act like pagans. Act like you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what? Your kids are watching you in that. They are watching and they are listening. Peter says to these believers, don't act like you did before you came to Christ. Children need to see us, and this is very important, children need to see us as fathers investing in things that are eternal, not temporal. 
That doesn't mean we're not involved in the temporary things of life. But we need to involve ourselves more for our children in the things that last. So that they see us. And this is some great way, I think, to apply this. So they see us reading the word. They hear us sharing the gospel. They see us coming together for prayer, lifting up something to the Lord. Because we believe. Because we're spiritual fathers and we say, I need my children to see that Christianity is not just something I talk about, but it's Christ who's at the center of my life and I trust him. Because he's trustworthy. They aren't just words that I use. Looking back and having my children, my boys in my home. I think one of the things that my boys might say to you is that I came, and I want you to hear this correctly. I came to be pretty decent at praying with my sons. You hear what I'm saying? I came to be pretty decent at praying with my sons to the point that I had one of them say to me one time when he came back home from being gone for a little while, I was in his room talking with him and it was about bedtime and he's 20-something. He says, hey, Dad, can you pray with me? I'm not saying that to lift myself up. I'm saying that because they watch and they listen. And you know what I want more than anything? I want my boys taking things to the Lord. Because he's trustworthy. I want my boys in the word of God. Because God's word is our lifeline. We need the intake of God's word every single day. One of the things I've enjoyed with my boys and with my family, it started out with, I think, just my boys. I wanted to study the Bible with my boys. Uh, And they were all out of the house. And I'm like, well, how am I going to do that? One lives in Nashville. You know, the other at the time was in, you know, college in Nashville. And I've got one here in Birmingham. How am I going to do that? Because I didn't do that really well growing up. I'm being honest. I needed to do better at that. And so I texted them and I asked them if they were interested in studying the Bible with me. And it was like, it was amazing. It was like, bam, bam, bam. Yes, yes, yes. I said, thank you, Lord. And then I thought, how am I going to do that? Well, technology is pretty advanced today. You can do Zoom or whatever they call that stuff. I don't necessarily like that too much, but do that. But I thought, I can just study with them on the phone. So I began to go through books of the Bible. We've done two, I think, completely through. And do we have times where we miss? Yes, we do. Do we have seasons where we're not doing it? Yes, we do. Why? Because I'm an imperfect man. There's times when my priorities aren't the best, being honest. And so we've gone through Colossians, 
And we've gone through Philemon, which is a postcard. But when you go through Philemon with that, it takes longer. <clears throat> but you know what's been fantastic is to see my boys, as they're researching the scriptures, come up with observations about what they see from the Word of God. I give you that as an idea, dads, because we're not all the same. And we live in a different kind of day now. And I think for kids these days, if they're 25 and younger, they're always on their phone. That's the one thing you can depend on. So our children need to see in us not the old but the new. And so that's what Peter writes here. Act like the one that is new. Act like a born one. And so he transitions then from saying this is what you're not to do in verse 14 to this is what you're to do in verse 15. Notice he says, verse 14, As obedient children, as born ones, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but, circle that, because he's making a major transition here. Don't act like the old, act like the new. Except he puts some meat on the bone. Look what he says. He says, but like the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? The Lord is the Holy One. In fact, I wrote in my notes that this attribute of the Lord is one that deserves and demands our attention as believers. You remember back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible tells us in that vision that Isaiah has that there's a point where the seraphim are crying out one to another, and what do they cry out? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Set it the way it's defined, separate, 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 is the Lord God the Almighty. Our children need to see us respecting the name of God. He's not my buddy next door. You know, he's not a glorified Santa Claus. He is the holy, holy, holy God who created you, who loves you, who gives you life, who sustains your life, who has provided through the Lord Jesus Christ eternal life. Holy, holy, holy. We don't ever need to forget those words. So he says, Peter does, to his audience, but like the Holy One, the separate one who called you. There's an effectual call that each of us have there in the Lord Jesus Christ. He called you out, and I love the way one theologian put it, he called you out to be his own. You're his child forever. He called you out to be his own. So he says, but like the Holy One who called you, he says, be holy. That word means separate. It's the term hagios. Be holy yourselves. Notice that's plural. 
be holy yourselves, all of you. It's not just the responsibility for one to be separate. It's the responsibility for all to be separate. Be holy yourselves in all your behavior. That word holy means separate. It refers to one's conduct. It refers also in definition to one's conversation. So it's not just the things that one says, but it's the things that one does. Or said the opposite, it's not just the thing that one does, but it's the thing one says. I mean, how many times have we been caught in a trap of saying one thing and doing another? Our children are forever watching us as fathers. And so Peter says to these believers, be separate yourselves also in some of your behavior. Is that what he says? He says, be separate yourselves, be holy yourselves in your conduct, in your conversation, in all your behavior. That little word all, all your behavior. You say, what does that look like? Well, if you go back in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 5, I want to show you a real battle that takes place in the Christian life. It's in the context of believers. He's writing to believers. And he's talking about this battle. You know, Peter says it one way. Hey, don't behave like the old man. You know, behave like you are born ones. But Paul, in this section in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about the battle that takes place between the spirit and the flesh. Notice what it says in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. Remember, he's writing to believers. But I say walk by the spirit. Walk by the spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. How does that look? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means I need to live by the Spirit. I need to be under His influence and His guidance every moment of every day. Do you happen to know when you're not walking by the Spirit? Yeah, you happen to know that? It kind of looks ugly, doesn't it, when we're not walking by the Spirit? In fact, I have frequent conversations with the Lord about that in my own life. And Lord, I'm not walking by the Spirit right now. Because you hear what I say, you see what I do. He says to these believers, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So, if I am going to live a holy life, I have to walk by the Spirit. There's not enough discussion in Christianity about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. If you belong to the Lord, the Spirit of God indwells you, and He indwells me, and He is our helper. We want to live lives that are holy. We are not going to do that in our own strength. It happens as we are dependent on the Spirit of God. He says, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. It's this old and new. It's that same wrestling match that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6 through 8. The very things I don't want to do, Paul says, I find myself what? I'm doing those things. Why is he doing those things? 
Because that old is still present. That old is still present. There's a battle that still wages in our members. That's why he says in, in Romans 6, don't let sin reign over me, my mortal body. It can happen. So he's saying, don't, don't let it happen. But what's the key component? The Spirit of God is the key component. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. They're on opposing ends. So that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Listen to me. There is nothing worse than trying to live by a set of rules and regulations in Christian life. It's called legalism. It's what it's called. If we make out a list of things, you know what's going to happen to us? We're going to look at that list and eventually go, man, I'm not doing real well. But if we're being led by the Spirit, here's the difference. If we're being led by the Spirit of God, it's not going to be, the focus is not going to be on us, oh, I've done this or I haven't done that. It's going to be on what the Spirit leads me to do or not do. That's different because man has rules and regulations. The Spirit of God leads us into what? All the truth. And so he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We know that in the book of Galatians, these believers are wanting to add to grace. All right? And so Paul's like, uh-uh. In fact, in chapter 1, he says, hey, look, if I or an angel from heaven present to you another gospel, let him be destroyed. This is a gospel of grace. We're saved by grace, but listen to me, we live by grace. We live by grace. We're not trying to maintain our righteousness. There is a difference between justification and sanctification. And once a man or a woman is justified, he is forever justified. She is forever justified. And the rest of that life is spent in this sanctification process, which, to be honest with you, at times looks pretty ugly. And we come to the conclusion, like Paul did in Romans, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But I love, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. So if, you're, if you got this list out going, well, I've got to maintain my righteousness, it's going to be rough. Be led by the Spirit. And he says, verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are... And there's no reason to go into the details of all these things. I think we all pretty much can define these words. The deeds of the flesh, he even says, are evident, which are immorality, sexual sin. Is there sexual sin out there today? Yeah. Impurity. Any impurity out there today? In the world? Yeah. Bunches of it. In fact, it almost seems to me, just an observation, that people aren't too far concerned about those things. They're almost proud. Does that sound crazy? Sensuality. Idolatry, which is one we will talk about at the end of 1 John. Idolatry is anything that you put over the Lord. Anything. By the way, it can be anyone. Sorcery, enmity, strife. <laughs> strife. Think about it, if you just took that word strife and thought about families. Is there a strife in families? Nah, not in my family. 
Absolutely there is. Jealousy, outburst of anger. Been there and done that. Disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you. Who is you? Believer. That those who practice such things will not inherit. This is reward language. This is not language about one's salvation. This is about an inheritance that is yet to come. This is about reward and loss of reward. In the context of the passage, some want to make it about those who belong to Christ and those who don't. That's not what he's writing. His audience is believers. We know the bema seat of Christ will take place, and we know according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, there will be reward and loss of reward at the judgment seat that will directly impact my position and your position in the kingdom of God. Which is, by the way, another subject that does not get discussed a whole lot. Um, so he says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, but the fruit, notice that is singular. The fruit, it's not fruits. Just like revelation is revelation, not revelations. Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is. So in other words, when I am being led by the Spirit, when I am being controlled by the Spirit, these are the things that are going to happen. Now, this is the way it applies. It applies to every believer. But fathers, listen to me. There can be victory as a father in the Christian life. And it's not by you going into the bathroom and having a pep rally and looking at yourself in the mirror and going, I can do this. I can be godly. No, it's not how it's done. It's done by saying... Lord, I submit myself today to your Spirit's leading in my life. That's how it's done. He says, the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, I'm being led by the Spirit. These things are going to take place. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm going to love the way I need to love. There's going to be joy even in the midst of persecution. There's going to be joy. There's going to be peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Whew. That sounds good to me, doesn't it, to you? When you look at that list before, it's like, blah. Right? That's like dirty water. And then you come to a clean fountain, you're like, whoo. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 24 says, that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So Paul puts it in some different language. Same idea. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says to these believers, like the Holy One who called you, who separated you to be one of His, you be separate yourselves also in all your behavior. It's not the only passage I thought about in Galatians 1. I thought about one in the Old Testament that really is wonderful as it relates to the idea here 
of what that looks like to be a man, a father, who is righteous, who lives a life that is right before the Lord. Psalm 1. Listen to the description here in Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Believer, father today, there's a lot of wickedness out in our world. And it is incumbent upon us as fathers that we would stand, even in the midst of all this dirty water, that we would stand for righteousness, for the things that are right, the things that are lovely, the things that are good, that we would stand for those things. So he says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But, circle that, his delight, circle that too. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That word law there is just another word for the, the, the word. Okay? Truth. And in his law, it says... Not only does he delight, that's his delight, but look at the rest of verse 2. And in his law, he what? Meditates for an hour. For five hours. You know what it says? It's his pattern. He meditates day and night. When you read all that, what does that do for you? When you read that, you go, okay. Blessed is the man who doesn't do this, and doesn't do that, and doesn't do this, but he does this. How does that hit you? These just words on a page. No, you know what they are? They're an example for us of what we're not to do and what we're to do. It's the same as First Peter. His delight, the righteous man, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. You ever thought about how blessed we are to have the full revelation of the Lord? Like for these biblical characters, as we go through time, well, they had this at this point, they had this at this point. But for us, we have the full revelation of God. We're not in an assembly where the elder is reading to a congregation some something that Paul sent out, right, that we're having to look at and then read and put with other things. We have all of it. So that when the psalmist says, in his law he meditates day and night, he had only so much. 
Now, what he had was good, but we have all of it. And so we're able to meditate on all of it day and night. We're free to do those things. And as a father, our children need to see us not only reading this book, but standing on it completely. You know what's going away? The world's going away. But also, you know what's going away? Men that are committed to being the leaders of their home spiritually. See, a spiritual man is one who meditates on the Word of God. And the result of that, look what the psalmist says, he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Great outcome for those who are saturated with the book. But notice the contrast. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way or the path of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will what? Perish. Have you drawn a line in the sand in your home as father's? Have you said to your children the words that Joshua said in the days of Israel when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? You ever read Joshua 24 as he recounts the history of God with Israel and the faithfulness of God in that chapter. He's speaking to the sons of Israel and it tells us in Joshua 24, I love the order of this. Joshua draws a line in the sand. And this is what I want to conclude with this morning. Have you drawn a line in the sand as fathers? And have you said as a father... As for me and my house, I don't care what the ones next to me are doing. They're not the priority. As for me and my house. Notice what Joshua says, as for me. First. He's first. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that. I love the order of that. I love the humility of that. I love the fact that Joshua was just saying to all of Israel, hey, line in the sand, this is what me and my house are doing. Now let's take that to present day. In the world, as for me and my house, we're doing what? In the world. If I'm of the world, as for me and my house, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. At the cost of whoever and whatever. I'm going to serve myself. Because it's all about me. But for the Christian, so much different. 
I mean, the Lord has given us this wonderful inheritance. If you read it in the context of 1 Peter 1, this wonderful inheritance that will not diminish and will not fade away. And it's reserved. Like, you don't have to worry about it. It's reserved. No one's getting your camping spot. You got it. It's reserved in heaven for you. It won't fade away. It won't diminish. It's eternal. So, live like it. That's what Peter says. You know what Joshua's doing with the nation of Israel? He's saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're not going to serve these foreign gods. We're not going to trust in anyone else. We're going to trust in the Lord God. The pagan world out there, my friends, is trusting in lots of things. But you and I have a great opportunity. I just look at it as an opportunity. We have a great opportunity to, to say to the world who is in mass confusion right now with so many things, to say to the world, as for me and for my house, we're serving him. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the world does. Do you know the security of the world today is in things and in money? Now, if your security in the world today is in things and in money and looking at what's going on in our world, what you doing right now? Panicking. If everything's about the 401k, if everything's about the stock market, you're kind of going, oh. but you know what, guys? Hey, can I tell you something? We don't have a thing to worry about. Because, listen, it may get rough. You say, I don't think it will in our generation. It might. It, it very well might. But you know what? I may just have enough bread and just enough water. See, I think I think of Israel, and I think they had the manna. But what did they want to go back to? The stake. You know, we don't know what God has in front of us, but we know God. And we know He's faithful. He's faithful to those that belong to him. He's faithful. Fathers, what will it be for you? I wish I would have had somebody tell me something like that when I was first a father. Have you drawn a line in the sand? I saw it with my dad, my example. But it had been nice to hear more. Hey, are you willing to draw a line in the sand in the midst of all the controversy around God and creation and Christianity? Are you willing to say, you know, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord? I wish I'd have had more of that. Encouragement or challenge, what will it be for you? I love the quote by C.T. Studd, which says, only... One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for him. That's all that will last. So fathers, can I encourage you this morning that you might sit down with your wife and your kids. Or if it's just you and your kids, fathers, sit down with you and your kids and look at them and say, hey, look, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. And that's what I want for you in your life. You know, this morning I saw something that was just a blessing to my heart. 
I'm standing over there. I don't sing all the time, but Steve and Bruce can sing. So they're singing back there, and, and we're singing the second song. I can't remember the title of it, but I look across. A little Mercy. You know Little Mercy, Gilbert's? Little Mercy is over there just singing her heart out. I'm like, Lord, where's that come from? comes from them it comes from Seth it comes from Jessica I'm trying to build them up I'm just saying that's what I saw and you know a lot of people would react to think oh that's cute no okay it's cute but it's past cute I'm like Lord these parents are pouring their lives into their kids and this is the result of that. And we can only hope that all the young people in this room today will hear from their fathers as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that doesn't mean, fathers, you have to sing to your children. But it does mean this, that as fathers, we would ask the helper to help us as we are fathers truly for a lifetime. So that when our children and our grandchildren come to us, they're able to say about us, oh, we're not perfect people by any, law, by any stretch of the imagination, but we are people who are committed to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray out together. Father, um, thank you so much that we have an example, an example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who as it tells us in Mark chapter 10, that he came to serve and not be served. He came to serve, and the Bible says he came to give. I pray as fathers, that you would put in our minds to be those that serve and those that give. Lord, I pray that we would be led by your Spirit as we have opportunities each and every day that are afforded to us to speak into the lives of our children and our grandchildren, and that we would be wise as we speak to them. I was reading this week about wisdom as it relates to what is said in the Proverbs about discipline. And I thought about today because it talks about the rod of correction. And I thought, well, as a loving father, you correct us. Your word tells us that. That those whom he loves, he chastens. As I begin to read more about that rod as I contemplated what was being said it just hit me that the author focused in on that the rod was something that a shepherd could lean on and that's one of the ways it was used but it was used to bring animals back in to the fold it was used to correct and Lord I pray that as fathers, we wouldn't be afraid 
to lean on our rods and rest, but that we wouldn't be afraid to discipline our children because we love our children. Because your word tells us those whom you love, you chasten. So there's a lot to consider in being a father. And I pray that your spirit would lead us and that your spirit would guide us. In all this, I pray in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen. Let's all stand, guys, as we close our service. Being Father's Day, this just seemed like the, the perfect song to close with. So let's sing together.
song. He is a good, good father. Um, wanted to close by just letting you know tomorrow night uh, starts our vacation Bible school. Um, and we will have it Monday through Thursday nights. And I know many of you are participating by working, but I would encourage you to invite children to come to be a part of this. Uh, we had, I won't say who, but for a reason, but we have one of our kids, and you can come to me if you want to afterwards, because I want the father to be able to share and the mom. One of our children came to Christ at camp this, this week, and it's a great opportunity for um, children to hear the gospel and come to Christ, because you know, one thing we might take for granted is that the gospel's out there all the time, but it's not, and so I would just ask that you would just pray about who the Lord might have you bring to be a part of that and just i want to publicly thank uh, andrea stovall she does a wonderful job with our children and uh, she needs a lot of support um, one of the things i love about andrea i don't have to babysit her um, i'm a horrible babysitter so she does a wonderful job and we really appreciate all that she does here so you come out this week i think tomorrow night we start with the carnival and I just want to make you mindful of that at 6 o'clock. I did want to end with, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, I guess, bittersweet for the family. But um, those of you who have a history at Springville Road would know Mary Parker. Uh, she went to be with the Lord. And so I know the family will miss her. But Mary was a godly woman on earth, a great Bible teacher, a wonderful example uh, they're having her service in the morning at Jefferson Memorial at 10 o'clock, and there will be visitation at 9 o'clock. So if you wanted to go by and just pay your respects, I'm sure the family would appreciate that. But we're thankful to know that Mary's with the Lord. And so I think that's a good way to end. So we'll just dismiss, all right? <laughs>